Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 29 Discovery Arkady Grishin watched the timestamp floating in the residence's data wall roll over to 2.30 a.m. local and move on. He heaved a great sigh. The flickering digits, the sole light source in the room, continued counting down the hours and minutes toward total disaster. In their pallid glow, the portrait of General Secretary Yuri Vladimirovich Andropov over on the far wall regarded his protégé mournfully, reproachfully. What good, Andropov seemed to be asking, was foresight without follow-through. Grishin tightened a fist and slammed it down on the desktop. The bang echoed like a pistol shot in the hushed chamber. Foresight without follow-through. The latest time probe had told him exactly when and where to intercept the two Krom agents. Perfect information. Flawed execution. Meanwhile, his agents in Washington were reporting no contact with the targets, and that was not the most disturbing thing they were reporting. The Crom headquarters building in Chantilly was staffed 24-7, usually. Tonight, it loomed over Route 50 in all but deserted derelict, two-thirds of its offices dark, an equal proportion of empty spaces in its parking lot. Grishin prided himself on being a realist. Still, he shrank from pondering the implications of that development. He cursed himself for not having sent Yuri to tend to matters personally. Even with one arm in a cast, he would have gotten the job done. Especially with one arm in a cast, seeing who put it there. But no, the timing was all wrong. There was no way the Georgian mercenary could have arrived in New York in advance of the Air France flight. Time again, devil take it. If only, if only, he barked a bitter laugh. If only mushrooms grew in your mouth, it wouldn't be a mouth but the whole garden. The old nonsense rhyme reminded him just how nonsensically he was behaving. Such speculation on alternative outcomes was pointless, at least in the present case. He returned to the problem at hand. His two fugitives should have been easy to intercept on the approach to Dulles. A plane in a landing pattern has few options, and his people had all the approaches covered. Stingers, too, this time, not those antiquated SA-7s. He sighed. All to no avail. The quarry was already an hour overdue at Dulles. Wherever they were bound, it evidently wasn't back to Crom headquarters. Starting from their last known heading, the Learjet's 1,500-mile flying range described a cone encompassing most of the southeastern United States. They could be anywhere within that volume. Where could they be going? So close. He had been so close. Grishin cradled his head in his arms, in a despondency so deep that he almost failed to notice his wrist-top was chiming. Mid-morning sun filtered through the stand of birch beyond the fretted triple windows and into the upstairs den where Jack Adler sat hunched over a keyboard, putting the finishing touches on his paper. A bar of vibrant green-gold sunlight had been creeping down along the tapestry-hung wall since he'd begun work at daybreak, 
until it now rested on his right shoulder. The warmth felt good, especially on muscles still aching from his encounter with the wolf. Jack made a final edit, then leaned back in his chair and stretched. One more read-through, and his findings should be ready to post to the Archive.org online physics site. Easy enough to do from here. Among its other amenities, the dacha had its own fiber-optic link to the Tomsk University Internet node. 19th century charm side by side with 21st century gear, as though the lamentable Russian 20th century had never happened at all. Medvedev had been far too modest in calling this place a dacha. It was a former Tsarist hunting lodge, a veritable hobbit house embellished with the fanciful towers and ornate wooden friezes typical of the pre-revolutionary homes still scattered here and there throughout the Tomsk region. Officially, the lodge was a national landmark administered by the university. Unofficially, Medvedev had the use of it as a personal retreat. Nothing was too good for the esteemed academician, who even now was tramping up the stairs, his good hand clutching two steaming glasses of amber liquid in chased silver holders. Tea, Jack, Medvedev boomed, to keep you on the road to recovery. Thanks, Dmitri, Jack accepted a glass. Actually, I feel pretty recovered already. He did, too, despite the occasional throb at the base of his skull and the twinges from his right arm if he moved it too suddenly. It felt good just to be back at work again. He'd lost most of a day and a half, drowsing in the peaceful, shuttered dark of the lodge's guest bedroom following his release from the hospital. But today he'd risen with the dawn chorus. The melodic bird song wafting in through the open bedroom window had reminded him how good it was to be alive, and had reawakened his sense of purpose. Maybe there wasn't anything he could do to stop his mysterious adversaries, but damn it, he was going to try. What had that old shaman said about confronting the wolf with knowledge, not might? Well, here was the means. He glanced over the last few paragraphs of the e-submission glowing on the display. Do I interrupt your work, Jack? Medvedev asked, settling into an overstuffed armchair. No, no, I was just finishing up, in fact. Jack took a sip of the tea. It was hot and sweet and had a hell of a kick to it. He raised an eyebrow at Medvedev. There was no sugar, the Russian said with a grin. Until I can go into town for provisions, it is necessary to sweeten the tea with rum. Breakfast of champions, Jack grinned back and took another swig. Give shy people the strength to get up and do what needs to be done. Medvedev doubtless didn't recognize the Prairie Home Companion tagline, but it elicited a chuckle nonetheless. And just what is it, if I may ask, that needs to be done? And in such urgency that you must monopolize the Tomsk Astrophysics Department's computer, rather than wait until you are back at your desk in Texas. Had to write up my findings from the expedition, Jack said, adding, Actually... I wanted to ask you about that. Is it okay if I post to the physics archive from your email account? I've made it clear in the abstract and the body that you and the university aren't involved in any way. Neither involved nor convinced this is wise, Jack. The chair creaked as the big man shrugged. You are, of course, free to do as you will, but I fear you are making a mistake. 
one that could have disastrous consequences for you. Jack swung around to face Medvedev, squinting into the sunlight. I've been as careful as I could. Couched the whole thing in language only another astrophysicist could love. No one outside the field will pick up on it till it's way too late. Jack, I must confess I have not the slightest idea what you are talking about. Medvedev's previous remark had resonated so well with his own forebodings of a shadowy conspiracy that Jack forgot he hadn't broached the topic yet, for good reason. Well, uh, that is, he backpedaled, what did you mean by dangerous consequences then? Not dangerous, Jack. Disastrous. Professionally disastrous. You are talking about publishing unsubstantiated opinion as though it were fact, and that to the international physics community. Jack's sigh set dust motes dancing in the sunbeam that now fell across his chest. Medvedev was right. Archive was a misnomer. In actuality, archive.org was a physics hotline. Between its new arrivals listing and the associated email alert service, every astrophysicist in the Western world would be reading the abstract of Jack's paper with their second cup of coffee. But that was exactly the point. I appreciate your concern, Dimitri, but this is something I, I've got to do. But why, Jack? Why in such haste? If your micro-hole is real, it will still be there next year. If it's real, we went all over this last night. My discovery... I know, Jack, I know. You saw what you saw. But I did not, nor did anyone else. You must face facts. With no hard evidence, with your equipment and records destroyed, you have no discovery. What you do have is no different, scientifically speaking, from a UFO sighting. Ouch. A week ago, it had been Jack lumping Medvedev in with the flying saucer fanatics. If the Russian was conscious of the irony, it didn't show in his face. But you believe me, don't you, Dmitri? I believe you to be a man of integrity, a serious scientist. Few have dared confront me as you have done. A small smile played for a moment about the bearded lips. But, as a scientist, you must know that it matters not what I believe, only what I can prove. That's what I've been trying to tell you. The proof is out there, waiting for us. And, as I have been trying to tell you, there is always tomorrow. Speaking for myself and my colleagues, we would welcome your participation in next year's Tunguska expedition. We may not have until next year. But Jack couldn't say that. Coming on top of his wolfman delusion, running off at the mouth about shadow conspiracies was sure to land him back in Ward 7. For his own good, of course. Instead, with as much calm as he could muster, he said, I appreciate your invitation very much, Dimitri, but I've got to get back there now. Summer's almost over. When does the snow start to fall in Tunguska anyway? Medvedev thought a moment. First or second week of September, at the latest. You see? I've got to start right now, or there's going to be zero chance of a return expedition before spring. I've got to start building support in the astrophysics community, pulling together equipment and funding, and all of that means publishing my results. He 
He wrenched his chair around till he was facing the keyboard again. Jack! Medvedev was rising, even as Jack's fingers flew over the keys. I beg you to reconsider, to entertain the possibility that you might be wrong. Too late, Jack declared, and clicked the send button that would dispatch his paper to archive.org and the world. Grishin regarded the newly arrived cylinder where it lay on his otherwise bare desktop, sparkling in the light from the single overhead spot. This one was the least distorted yet, its inscription legible almost without straining, a sign they must be close, very close. Five words this time, one of the longer messages. It varied between three and five. Seven once, but those were all short words. One thing didn't change. Regardless of the length of the message, it had about it an air of the cryptic, of the confounding convolutions of prescience. The first three message units were clear enough. A word. Weathertop. Followed by latitude and longitude for a location in the northwestern corner of North Carolina. So far so good. Not only the name of the fugitive's destination, but precise coordinates for finding it. It was the last two words that had Grecian puzzled. Return them. No matter. That's what Sasha was for. The telltales from the younger man's badge were already tracking his progress along the main corridor of accommodations deck in the direction of the residence. His agonizingly slow progress. Sasha was taking his time, giving himself a chance to come fully awake before he got here. It was three in the morning, after all. Sasha wasn't alone. No one would be getting much sleep tonight. The whole vessel was stirring to life as the strike force assembled for a departure still within the hour. Grishin himself should be up on the bridge by now, supervising the operation. One thing to do first, though. The steel portal slid back soundlessly and admitted Sasha. He stood a moment, framed in the doorway, peering into the gloom, hands hanging at his side. Good evening again, Arkasha. Or perhaps I should say good morning? Is something happening? Then his gaze fell on the desktop. Another probe? Sit down, Sasha. I have something to tell you. Disbelief alternated with consternation on Sasha's guileless face as Grecian sketched out the duplicity of his friends. So, Yuri's presence on board the helicopter was intended? Yes, an attempt to dispose of the problem once and for all. It failed. But, but why was I not informed? I told you plainly enough the evening of their departure. It was you who refused to hear. I saw no reason to involve you further. It could only prove a distraction just when you most needed to focus on your tasks. In that case, why are you telling me now? Grishin sighed. Things are evolving rapidly, Sasha. We can afford no more mistakes. I thought it best to consult with you as to the meaning of this latest message before giving the final go-ahead. Sasha reached out and plucked the cylinder off the desk. He sat peering at it, twirling it in his hands. Well, he said finally, map coordinates, of course, where John and Mariana might be found, and instructions to bring them back here. Yes, that all seems to fit. He laid the probe back in the center of the table. Arkasha, with your permission, 
I should like to accompany the strike force. Rishan looked up in surprise. You, Sasha? Yes, of course me. Coordinates can err. It might become necessary to ask the local inhabitants for directions to this weather top. Who did you imagine would do that, Yuri? Grishin chuckled at the mental image of Giladze trying to understand, or make himself understood by, the hill folk of rural North Carolina. Perhaps he could explain that he was from neighboring Georgia. It is merely that, forgive me, but I hadn't pictured you taking part in a termination action. Not your line of work at all, even if the targets were not formally your friends. Termination? It was Sasha's turn to show surprise. Astonishment, really. But I thought... Termination, Grishin repeated evenly, careful not to let his tones betray the flash of anger he felt toward this indispensable, yet hopelessly naive and criminally negligent subordinate. Not for the first time in their long association, Grishin had to fight down a sudden urge to personally snap his young colleague's spine for him. Why, Sasha? he said. What did you think was going to happen? Well, that is, the message itself seems clear enough. Yes, return them. This is precisely the riddle I called you here to unravel. On the one hand, the probe tells me how to find your friends. On the other, it tells me to bring them back here to Risalka, alive. But why? Why spare them? Let me reverse that question, Arkasha. Why go to so much trouble to kill them now? Was that sweat sheening Sasha's forehead in the dim light? Could it be that the sentimental fool still harbored some sympathy for these enemy agents? Mounting a raid at so great a distance, on the adversary's home ground, is hardly without risk, Sasha went on quickly, and I see no gain to offset it. If John and Mariana are truly spies... They doubtless have already told what they know. I expected as much from Merkulov, Sasha, not from you. Surely you can see that what they now know and what they might still discover are two different things. But how can you be sure they have not discovered the truth already? Sure? How can I be sure? Grishin paused to lower his voice again before continuing because we have yet to see the first flight of cruise missiles coming sailing in over the horizon. That is how I can be sure, for that in all likelihood will be our first and only indication that Krom appreciates the project's true potential. Not that things are not bad enough already. What do you mean, bad enough? Grishin suddenly felt very tired. His fingers must his graying, carefully combed hair. Krom, it seems, already feels it has enough to move against us. Virtually, the entire Chantilly operation staff has departed on an unscheduled exercise. An exercise coinciding with an unannounced redeployment of American naval assets stationed in the western Mediterranean. They are still moving cautiously, cautiously enough to show they have yet to put all the pieces together. Time grows short, my friend, very short indeed. Are you certain we cannot pull up our own timetable? The probes say no, Arkasha, but 
we are halfway through the acceleration phase even now. Only some 26 hours remain on the clock. Add perhaps another 3 or 4 hours for calibration and to sequence the probes properly. We could be ready for the Omega sequence by say 8 a.m. on Friday. Even that may be too late. And we are so close. Rishan pounded his fist on the desktop, causing the distorted metal cylinder before him to bounce and sing. He fixed Sasha with a baleful glare. I need the answer to my riddle now. What is so essential about bringing these spies back to Rusalka? Sasha sat there immobile, his mind racing furiously. He did not believe for a minute that his friends were spies. That was, had to be, just Grecian's occupational paranoia talking. Still, delusional or not, it marked John and Mariana for death. Unless the paranoia itself, the obsessive secrecy that had shrouded their every move, might contain the seeds of its own solution. Arkasha, he said softly, I believe I may understand your riddle. Grecian said nothing, but the glint of menace faded from his eyes to be replaced by a scintilla of hope. Sasha took this as license to go on. I cannot help but think that the probe's command bears on the larger problem. Properly interpreted, it will lead us to the success that its own arrival portends. Grecian frowned. Sasha knew his master detested the counterintuitive logic needed to divine the probe's meanings. He hastened to the point. What if our adversaries knew of the danger a precipitous strike might bear with it? Danger? I do not understand. What if they knew about Vordalak, knew an attack would set the world eater free once more? They, they would have to stand down. Grishan's eyes were shining now. Sasha, this is brilliance, sheer brilliance. I have lived so long with the necessity of concealing this secret that I have never even considered what impact its disclosure at the proper moment might have. Then, as quickly as it had appeared, the gleam winked out. It will not work. Because? Lead him, lead him. Because no one would believe it. At most, Chrome has only some videos of untended laboratory workstations and the recording of a single seismic event. Will they make the logical leap from those few observations to the conclusion that we now hold the power to end the world in our hands? I think not. You might, or your Mr. Knox, perhaps. But it is extremely unlikely that I would arrive at such a conclusion, plodding unimaginative functionary that I am. And I can assure you, my counterparts in Krom are far closer in spirit to me than to you. I will not have you comparing yourself to those grey bureaucrats, Arkasha, you who have brought us to the very brink of this glorious victory. Perhaps one more hint. And yet, perhaps they are not all so close-minded. The woman, for instance for all that circumstances make her an adversary. Still, she seemed bright and open to the possibilities. What might happen if she were to see Antipode itself? 
Sasha stopped. Grishin was still looking at him, no longer seeing him. Yes. She knows the half of it already. She, if anyone, might be made to believe. And believing might convince her superiors. Enough to give them pause, to stay their hand for the few hours more we need. And do not forget John, Sasha added. I sense that he may understand this better than anyone on the other side. We could need him to convince her. Is there a possibility he might penetrate the ultimate purpose behind Antipode as well? I think not, Arkasha. No, surely not. But he will accept the reality of Vordelak. Of that you may be certain. Very well. Both of them. The message does say both, does it not? Yes, thank you, Arkasha. Aloud, he said, it does. And may I suggest again that I accompany the team to ensure that, how shall I put it, that your instructions are followed to the letter? They looked at one another, sharing a single unspoken thought. Yuri was useful, but sometimes suffered from poor impulse control. I see your point, Grishin said. Yes, yes, of course you must go along. Then to himself, Return them. I see it now. It was staring us in the face all along. To think I was trying to stop them from uncovering the truth, and now it is our only hope. The despair was gone. Grishin seemed to loom larger, to fill the room with newfound energy and ebullience. One final time his gaze, no longer cold now, came to rest on Sasha. Alexander Andreevich Bondarenko. Grishin spoke at last, his broad grin belying the formality of his words. I order you, I command you, return them. You will also need a helicopter, Jack. Medvedev thumped a thick index finger on the project plan's arranged transport task box. A Mikoyan two or three should do for so small a team. No need to go to the expense of chartering one of the big eights, what do you think? Jack Adler looked down at the diagram and nodded cautiously. He was having a hard time adjusting to the transformation that had come over Medvedev once Jack's paper had been posted. Russians had a long tradition of yielding to the inevitable, but this was ridiculous. Grumbling that if Jack were going to insist on returning to Tunguska this summer, he might as well do it properly, Medvedev had hauled out the charts and checklists for the expedition just completed and spread them all over the desk. Then, over the past two hours, he'd cobbled together a straw-man budget and schedule that, to Jack's unpractised eye, looked eminently doable. He'd even volunteered to come along himself, to see this marvel with my own eyes, as he put it. Medvedev brushed a couple of stray worksheets aside and unearthed the desk clock. Time for lunch, Jack, he slapped his ample belly. Then, with a nod toward his handiwork, we have made a good beginning in any case, eh? Left to himself, Jack surveyed the snowdrifts of grid paper and ledger sheets that had all but buried the pristine desk surface he'd worked on this morning. Amazing that Medvedev could organize anything, much less an entire expedition, in this mess. What was the kitchen going to look like when he'd got done making lunch? 
from the clatter of pots and pans downstairs, it didn't sound good. The epicenter of chaos having shifted elsewhere, Jack seized the opportunity to reimpose order. It was a good five minutes of sticking stray documents back in their folders before he'd exhumed Medvedev's PC from its burial mound of prior-year Tunguska reports. As luck would have it, that was when it happened. The computer, which had hitherto been silent, cleared its throat and said, Aha! You've been listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.